Oh, good morning, guys. Welcome to Sunday Morning Church. What a privilege we can come together and worship still the Lord together, um, regardless of where we are. It's pretty wet out there, um, and we can have church in our homes. We can have church in the comfort of our homes. And I pray this morning the Lord blesses you, uh, blesses you where you are, and, uh, and especially uh, with his word and with his love this morning. I pray that your hearts are open to hear the word of God this morning and to receive what the Lord Jesus has to say to you. So join me as we, as we pray together as a church this morning. Loving Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming before your word and coming to listen to what you have to tell us. We believe, Father, that you have a word for us this morning. We believe that you want to speak to our hearts. We believe, Lord, wherever we are, that you're able to reach us and go deep within our lives, Lord, so that we can become more like Jesus. So, Father, we pray your Holy Spirit may move among us, that your Holy Spirit may speak the truths into our lives, Lord, that our hearts will be ready to receive what you have to say. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just great to be here this morning, uh, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to have church together and to fellowship together. There's lots of things that happen during the week, and it's great to come together and to listen to God's word and to hear the things that he has to, to say to us. I'm getting a sense amongst people in the church, and, and I'm feeling the same. I'm getting the sense that uh, people are, uh, are missing one another. Yeah? You're sort of missing the idea of, of being at church. You're missing the idea of seeing each other face to face. And even though sometimes it's okay, you can be by yourself, you can enjoy, enjoy doing things and you can entertain yourself, I'm getting the sense a few weeks in now into the isolation that people are missing each other. And, and that's certainly my feeling as well too. I, you know, I feel that, um, that people are, and I certainly am missing people. I'm missing the opportunity to get together with people face-to-face, whether it's Sunday or other times, just to be able to be in the same room as people and to have the normal thing that God designed for us to have, and that's fellowship one with another as a face-to-face fellowship. I remember a, a, a children's program when I was little called Romper Room. Some of you might remember Romper Room. And, and it was um, one of those things where at the end of the, the show, the, the host would have a, like, a ma- like a magic mirror at the end of the show. And, and she would look at the mirror and she would pretend that she could see certain people. I can see David and I can see, oh, I can see John. Oh, G'day, George. How are you going? And Ray, there's Ray, and there's Sandra, and there's Rebecca. And she used, to, she used to pretend like she could see the children watching the show. And I don't know if she ever said Barry. I don't know, I can't remember. I don't think she did. But, but as a child, as a child watching this show, could you imagine that special feeling like, oh, she saw me, she saw me, you know? She would just throw out a name and she would see me. And this, this feeling like you're noticed, feeling like you're noticed by the, by the presenter. You know, Zoom is a little bit like that. We, we see each other through screens. We see each other through screens. And we design more than that, though. You know, it's not enough for us to see each other through a screen. That's not what, ex- well, that, that, that is exciting, but we want to do more than that. We want to see each other face to face. And, and the time's going to come. The time's going to come that that's going to happen. By the grace of God, we need to hold on until that time. We need to hold on doing things of God until that time. And how much more God, God who looks straight into our homes and straight into our hearts and you're completely not distant at all and he continues to see exactly what's going on. And he says, I'm here, I'm here. Yeah, so we need to hold on uh, right up right up to the very end. But we, we, uh, we miss that. We, we miss you. We miss you. Uh, we, we're praying for you. Um, and we long for the opportunity to come back together and fellowship face-to-face with 
with one another. But I know that through this time, we're also learning some things. We're also some learning some things as a church and we're learning some things as Christians. Uh, we're learning how much we love each other, you know, how much we actually miss each other, how much we want to, want to, want to be with one another. Uh, perhaps, perhaps we'll never take for granted again the fact that we were together on a Sunday morning, you know. We're learning uh, that we do love each other. We're learning that we, that we love fellowship. Uh, we're learning that we love to be in fellowship with one another. We're learning that we love the word. You know, we want the word. We want to hear the word. Whether, whatever forum that might be, we want to hear the word. We, we're learning that we, that we love the word. But we've got to hold on. We've got to hold on. While we learn these things, we've got to hold on to the end. We've got to hold on not only to the end of this isolation, but we've got to hold on to the very end because this is the call of the Lord Jesus Christ to have us hold on to the things that he's asked us to hold on to. It's really, really important. And this morning I want to share with you some, some things around the need to hold on right up to the very end because the Lord Jesus is coming. He's coming. And we need to be able to hold on not only because he's coming, but because we love him and this immense love that he has, that he has toward us. So until that time comes, I want you to think something for. I want you to think about something for a moment. Have a think about Sunday mornings. Have a think of the way Sunday mornings used to be. Just picture yourself sitting in church for a moment. Picture yourself the people around you. Who sat? Who used to sit in front of you? Who used to sit behind you to the side of you? Think about the people that you remember sitting with you in church. Maybe you've got some time on your hands. Maybe you've got some extra time on your hands. Think about the people that you think, oh, you know what? I haven't seen that person. I haven't spoken to that person for a long time. I wonder how they are going. You know, send them a message. Give them a call. Don't leave it to us. Don't, don't think it's someone else is going to do that. If you just take a moment to think about the people in your church, the people in your fellowship, the people in the body of Christ, and think to yourself, wow, I wonder how so-and-so is going. Hey, don't just think it. Let's act upon it. Let's call them. Let's text them. Let's contact them somehow. Let's be the heart, the hands, the feet of Jesus in every situation. Don't think to yourself, oh, but they'll have plenty of people calling them. No. If it's on your heart and you think about them and you wonder about them, make that step to reach out. This is the opportunity. This is an opportunity for you in your isolation. Perhaps you've got things, perhaps you want to do things. This is a great opportunity for, for you to do that. I get texts from people and I think, oh, wow, that's lovely that they even thought to text, but it's not just about me. It's about everyone in the fellowship. So let's think about those people as we, as we hold on, as we work through, through this time. So thank God for these opportunities that we have. And this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, um, uh, chapter 21, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And we're going to sort of hang around the resurrection for today as well. We've sort of hung around the resurrection the last couple of weeks. Obviously, two weeks ago was the resurrection. And we spoke about how this beautiful, powerful faith that exists when we don't see. Isn't that true? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that since the message two weeks ago? Have you experienced something in your life where you thought, wow, I can't see but the faith that God has worked in me, I've seen powerfully worked out in my life because I've believed without seeing, and Jesus calls that blessed. I pray, I pray that this has been your experience since those, since those words two weeks ago. So we're praying, we're, we're sorry, we're believing without seeing. And then last week, we looked at how God is always there. You're not alone. You're not alone. He's acquainted with all your ways. Jesus says, I'm going, but I'll always be with you. Yeah, I'm going, but I'll be with you until the very end. He's acquainted with all our ways. He understands all our ways. He knows all our ways. So there was a couple of messages there hovering around the resurrection. And this morning, I want to hover around the resurrection a little bit more. 
a little bit more. What happened to Jesus and his, a few of his disciples, seven of them in fact, what happened to them after the resurrection in the Gospel of John um, in, in chapter 21? But before, I, before uh, we read this, I want to go back and give a couple of little bits of context to, to what I want to say this morning and from this passage as well. Throughout history, throughout the scriptures, believers in God, believers in Christ have been warned and encouraged to hold on throughout, throughout history. Um, you, you go back in the Old Testament and you see, you see it in the New Testament, and I'm sure preachers have said it all the time, that the whole thing about needing to hold on, whether they are encouragements or whether they are warnings, they are, we are told not to turn to, um, to the left or to the right. We're, to, we're told to not go back to our old ways. We're told not to trust in ourselves. So there's all these things about the need to stop holding on to the things that we think we should hold on to, but rather hold on to the things of God. And we're encouraged and we're warned and we're, and we're told and we're instructed to hold on, to hold on. In fact, the scriptures are, are, are clear because they want the believer to, to know that God is still in control. God has never left the throne. His love for us, his, his sovereignty is going to see us through everything. But most importantly, the need to resist the things that want to drag us away, the things in our flesh that want to drag us away from Jesus, the things that tempt us and, 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 and fight against us. And we are to say, no, Lord, no, I'm going to say no to these things because these things are going to hurt me. These things are going to destroy me. These things are going to empty my soul and rather hold on to the things that are going to fill me with the joy of the Lord and the strength of the Lord and the peace of the Lord and, and the power of the Lord. These are the things I want to hold on to. Many people, I'm sure, in your life you've experienced and you've held on to things that are fleeting, things that are temporary. The Bible says we don't look at things that are temporary. We look at things that are eternal. And, and we try, try to hold on to things that are temporary. We've had a temporary pleasure. And you realise afterwards, what was that about? What was the point of that? How did that help me? You know, yes, it was fleeting, but what, what did it mean for me? And then there's a sadness that comes upon us because what does it mean in terms of my relationship with the Lord? And, and today, today, my friends, today, brothers and sisters, the Lord is saying, hold on, let go of these things and hold on only, only to the things of the Lord, the things that are going to give you life and life, life abundantly. Here's a passage in John chapter 21 when Jesus is talking to his disciples after they decide to go fishing. And Simon and his partners, um, perhaps his fishing, a couple of his fishing partners as well, decide they want to go fishing. They haven't, perhaps they haven't seen the Lord for a little while. And, and, and Peter says, let's go fishing. We're going to read it in a moment. But right earlier on in, um, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a, there's a story. I want to just give you a bit of a context. There's a story when Jesus... Um, is speaking to the people on, on, the, on the sand and the people are pressing, are pressing toward Jesus. They're pressing. They, 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 they want to hear what he has to say, you know. Um, remember? Remember the days before social isolation? Here they were pressing against one another, you know, pressing to want to, to, want to, see, to want to see Jesus. And so Jesus sees two boats on the water and he, wants to, he jumps into one of those boats and he asks, and the boats go out a little bit. I don't know, probably 1.5 metres, I'm not sure. But, uh, but the boats go out a little bit from the shore and, and he preaches to them. He teaches them. After he teaches them, he says to Simon something very interesting. Let me read this to you. You don't have to turn to it. He says to Simon this. This is in another passage. He says, Simon, to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I'll be really fascinated to know, what did Jesus preach before he said to Simon, let down your nets. The Bible doesn't tell us in this context what he preached. 
You know, did he preach something like, you've got to let go. You've got to trust me. Even though the circumstances don't seem right, you've got to believe in me. Was he teaching something about faith? Having the faith the size of a mustard seed that can do so many things. Was he teaching that our love believes all things? You know, was he teaching these things in this moment? The Bible doesn't specifically tell us tells us. But what it says to us is when he taught them, when he had finished teaching them, sitting on the boat, them on the sand, when he had finished teaching them, he then turns to Simon and says, hey, let your net down now in the deep. Now Simon says this. He says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, I imagine, I'm thinking, what what did Simon think? If Jesus had just finished talking about the need to let go, to trust me, faith, what it means, love, what it means, and all of a sudden he says, throw your net down, and Simon says, Master, we've talked all night. Did he say it with exertion? Did he say it with a sense of hope? I'm not sure. But he says, you know what, nevertheless, Lord, at your word, at your word, we will let down the nets. We can't do this alone, brothers and sisters. You cannot do life alone. There is no way. There is no way. He says, you know, Lord, I've tried doing this, but because your word says it, because your word says it, then I'm going to do it. And at the end of the day, that's all it comes down to. Even though we can't understand what it is that we're going through or how long we're going to go through it for or what is actually happening in our lives, because the word of God says it, we say, Lord, at your word, I will obey. Not because I get it, but at your word, I will obey. Because there is no confidence at the end of the day in ourselves. Because our confidence can get smashed in a moment. Our financial confidence can get smashed in a moment. Our emotional confidence can get smashed in a moment. All it takes sometimes is a thought and a whole mood changes. And yet what we say is, God, at your word, at your word. And so if you're trying to live life, how confidently can you really live life trusting in yourself? Really think about it. Are you really that confident in yourself? Do you really think that you can live life all your life without God and somehow depend on your intelligence and your wisdom and your strength and your maneuvering of things to be able to get to where you need to get? Or at the end of the day, you're really trusting in a living God who knows you, understands you, speaks words into your life and says, hey, listen, you need to throw it, you need to throw it in the deep. I know you've been toiling all night. I know that. But I'm telling you now, now throw your net in. And he did. And he did. And the Bible says they caught hundreds, uh, something like 153 fish. You know, it's very specific. They, they, they caught this fish. At that point, at that point, Simon says, Lord, he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He understood. Perhaps he understood what Jesus had been speaking to. That Maybe he thought there's a sense of, of just so, so much humanity in him that he was just so tired of this and he just wanted now to be able to trust Jesus in everything. And so with that context in mind, when Jesus challenged Peter right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus challenged Peter, I'm telling you, throw your net. We face now time, John chapter 21, when, uh, when something else is happening and, and I think Peter's reminded, Peter's reminded of these events, holding on, is what we have to do as Christians, despite the struggles, the trials, the temptations of our lives. There is never an excuse. Listen, God is so good to us. God is so good to us that he, that he never gives us a reason to have to give in to temptation. Do you understand that? He is so good to us that he never gives a reason to give in to temptation. 
but rather he says, come, let me rescue you from this temptation. So Peter here, uh, John, chapter, John chapter 21, it says, and after these things, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, really big lake, a really big lake around the area of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. So he showed himself. He revealed himself. Remember, this is after the resurrection. Things were kind of a little bit, uh, uh, there was a little bit sort of an uncertainty about what's going on. And so Jesus, in these moments, in these times, wants to reveal himself. He wants to make himself known. He wants to show himself. Don't be, um, don't be dismayed or discouraged or confused with this. The silence of things is not God not revealing himself. God is wanting to reveal himself all the time. He wants to show himself all the time. Often, often I think we don't see because our hearts are closed. And so God is open, wanting to open our hearts and open our eyes because he loves to reveal himself to you. He loves to show himself to you. And this is an opportunity where he wants to show himself to his disciples. And Simon Peter, Thomas, then there's a group of disciples, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, which we read about a couple of weeks ago, Nathaniel of Cana, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are the sons of John or the sons of Thunder, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, verse 3, quite a fascinating thing, verse 3. Listen very carefully to this. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I am going fishing. There's been so many um, um, descriptions um, um, evaluations, analysis of this text. You know, so many theologians and preachers have, have spoken about this text. I'm going to keep it very, very simple for you this morning. The one thing we know about Peter, the one thing we are certain about Peter, that before he knew Jesus, he was a, a fisherman. He was a fisherman, okay? He did things, he, he caught fish. This was his occupation. And when Jesus saw him and Jesus called him, he said something very, very clear to him back in the early parts of the gospel. He said something very clear to him. He said, Peter, now, now, come, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Okay, in other words, listen, what you used to do, good, but now I have something better for you. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so what we do know about Peter is that he, he used to be a fisherman. So, I think it is very, very safe to assume that what Peter was doing here, that he was wanting to go back and do something he knew was kind of comfortable for him. He knew that was kind of um, perhaps it, something he was good at. Uh, perhaps it was something that uh, found him purpose. Perhaps it was something that found him meaning. Perhaps it was something that made him feel confident about himself. Maybe he was feeling a little bit, you know, what's happening? And I need, to, I need a bit of boost. I, I don't know. But he was doing something that he used to do. You get that? That's the point. Perhaps so the Bible is not, um, the Bible, God is wise. God is smart in how he puts his word together. I think the Bible is just wanting to tell us that Peter had, 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 this, had this thought and this emotion and this temptation to go back to his old ways, to go back to things he used to do, you know, to go back perhaps to his old habits, the things that made him someone, the things that brought him some kind of maybe attention or some kind of confidence or some sort of purpose. And so Peter says to his friends, he says, I am going, I am going uh, fishing. In a sense, his old way. It's really interesting because you think about the way, um, the way that Peter uh, was brought up. He would have been brought up uh, to learn how to fish. 
He would have been brought up to know what to do. He would have been probably very, very good at it. And him going back to this might have found some kind of comfort or some kind of security in doing this. Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what God is doing, uh, what, what has happened in your life growing up. The, what the call of God in our lives today is to come to a place of newness and wholeness without looking back at the things that you thought once brought you purpose and joy and meaning in life. You need to hold on to the things of Jesus, not the things that you grew up thinking were right. You know, you might have been, you might have grown up, you might have grown up being told things that were completely against the things of God. You know, you've got to be a man. You've got to, and this is how you've got to be a man. You need to, you need to do this. You need to drink this. And you need to treat your wife like this. No, they are the things of God. You know, you don't go back to the things that once were, you were taught growing up. No, you come to the things of God. You learn the ways of God. You are a new creation now in Christ. And the new creation lives out the new way. You've got to hold on to the new way in Christ. You need to, to come to the end of yourself and the things that you used to do. You know, if you grew up being taught, you know, you know, when you get married, you've got to manipulate your husband, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to make sure you're on top of it. No, what you're doing is that you're living now the way Christ wants you to live. You're throwing out the old way. You're bringing in the, the new way. If you grew up thinking to yourself, you know, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to step over everyone. I'm going to get to the top. No, that's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is a new way. You don't come to a place in your Christian faith and you say, ah, it's not really working for me. I'm going to try the, I'm going to try the way it used to be. I'm going to try the way I was taught to do it. No, you need to hold on to the things of God because he will honour and he will bless the, when, when we do things his way. Parenting is a classic. You know, sometimes we parent in a way that we think, this is the way of God, this is the way of God, and then all of a sudden things aren't going our way and we find ourselves doing things and saying things like our parents used to. We think, what did we say that for? What did we do that for? Let's not. No, we need to hold on to the ways of Jesus. We don't go back saying, you know what, I'll just go back to the way I used to be or the things I thought were, were the right way. We're holding on to the things of God. We're holding on to the things of Jesus. Peter said, you know what, I'm going to go back I'm going to go back and go fishing. For how long, Peter? For how long? What is it going to give you? What's it going to profit you? Uh, what are you going to achieve from this? How long are you going to be happy for? You know, go, go find your pleasures doing other things. Go look for things. Go look for joy in other places. Go look for meaning in other places. But for how long is it going to help you, Peter? For how long... Are you going to find purpose and meaning in it? The Bible tells us, what does it profit a man? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his soul? Have you ever thought about that verse? What does it profit a man? What gain does he have? What value does he have? What purpose does he have? What, what, at the end of the day, what is it actually going to give him if at the end of the day he, he um, loses his soul? In other words, you can have everything in this world. You can work so hard to have as much as you can and set up your retirement so perfectly. But if you haven't looked after your soul, you will come to the end of your life an empty man, an empty woman. It doesn't really matter because what's a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Because what the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for is for a people who will trust him above everything else, who will know that the greatest joy and the greatest security and the greatest purpose is to hold on to him, is to follow him. So what's a profit of man? It's like, you know, sometimes I sometimes give you illustrations of when I used to be a child and I used to play with a deck of cards making houses. Remember, I've shared those things with you. 
Think about it. Think about a deck of cards of a house that is spectacular, 10 stories high. It's a deck of cards. It looks spectacular. And everyone says to you, whoa, that is amazing. How did you do that? How long did it take? Must have, must have been a lot of skill involved and patience involved. And, and they're, they're applauding you for your magnificent um, achievements because it looks fantastic. Really? How long is that deck of cards going to last? How long is a house going to last? All it takes is a quick breath and it's down. What do, you, what do we think? Everything we're, we're building, what do we think really? Everything we're building at the end of the day is going to give us and how long is it really going to last for us? In a moment, it can be taken away. And so the Lord Jesus Christ very clearly is wanting us to find our source of joy and strength and peace, not in the things that we build, but rather in our creator himself and the things that he's called us to. So Peter, he was going back. He was going back. And, um, and it's really interesting because if he was to stop and think for a moment, I think he would have realized, he would have realized, um, perhaps I shouldn't. Perhaps I shouldn't. And I believe it's the same for every time you hear the word of God. Every time you hear God's word and you listen to God's word, whether it's on Zoom or something else, I believe that if you were to stop and think, seriously, stop and think, um, push aside the thoughts of who's telling you, push aside the ideas of how you feel about Christianity and those sorts of things. But if you were to stop and think and think to yourself, really, at the end of the day, what really matters? I think your heart will be stirred to realize that God, the creator, has the word of truth for you. It's how long are you going to resist this for? How long are you going to hold back from this? How long are you going to say to yourself, you know what? I deep down know it's true, but I just don't want it. And how long are you going to do that for? Because when the house falls and crash, and I don't know what happened. We can't predict life. But today, 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 as God speaks, as God speaks and he says, enough is enough. You've heard, you've understood, you know it's true, deep in your heart, but you keep trying to build a house of cards. At the end of the day, what are you going to do? What are you going to say that your confidence can't be in yourself, but it has to be in God and you need to give him all your life. You need to hold on to everything. Enough, enough of my old life, enough of my old ways. I'm going to trust and hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do this, we get stirred up and, it reminds me of a story when Paul was speaking to a king, King Agrippa, in, in the book of Acts. And after his preaching, King Agrippa says something really, really interesting to him. He says, Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. <laughs> what is that? You almost persuaded me to be a Christian? Paul, you almost got me. You, you, know, you got me thinking, Paul. You, you almost got me there, Paul. What is that? Do we want people almost persuaded to be Christians? Do we want people who, who are enlightened and think to themselves, yeah, what he's saying is good. I'm stirred up enough that I almost, almost, no. You can be almost persuaded, but you're just, you're just as close to hell as you were before. At the end of the day, we don't want almost persuaded Christians. What we want is Christians who give all their heart to Jesus. We don't want people who say, yeah, you almost persuaded me to give all my life. You almost persuaded me to give up everything. You almost persuaded me that Christians don't sin. You almost persuaded me that Christians don't sin. They live righteously. But you know what? My, my, true, my reality is, is I always sin. So I don't know. No, we don't want people who are almost persuaded. We want people who know the truth, the truth that sets them free. 
We want people who experience the love of God so deeply that they'll give up everything for him, that they will give up all their life for him, that they will do the things that God has called them to do. And God is promising that he'll be so involved in their life that he'll see them through right to the very end. So he says to us, hold on, hold on. Even when the whispers come to say, go back, go back, do it the way you used to do. React the way you used to react. Manipulate the way you used to manipulate. Talk the way you used to talk. Be grumpy the way you used to be grumpy. No. What the Bible says is this. You need to come and give everything. Hold on to the way of Jesus. Hold on to his very way. So Peter, Peter did this. I've actually, I think I might have shared this with you before, but it's a beautiful story about a man called um, uh, John Wesley. And... um, a preacher, an evangelist back in the 18th century. And he wrote a journal. He's got journals you can read. And he he wrote this in his journal. I'm going to read you a couple of bits from his journal. I want you to see the need to hold on and to really press on to the things of God, despite all the opposition that comes comes our way. John Wesley said this. It was was 1738 in his journal. There's a couple of years here. 1738. Sunday morning, May the 7th. Listen. Sunday morning, May the 7th, preached in St. Lawrence and was asked not to come back anymore. (laughs) I don't know, was it a good message? I think it would have been. He was preached in St. Lawrence and was asked not to come back anymore. That evening of May 7th, preached at St. Catherine's, the deacon said, get out and stay out. The next next week, May the 14th, preached at St. Anne's, can't go back there either. That afternoon, on May the 21st, another week afterwards, preached at St. John's, kicked out again. Not a very good record, is it? But he pressed on. He pressed on. He held on. Opposition, but he kept going. Then a year later in May, listen, Tuesday, May the 8th, afternoon service, preached in the pasture and bath. A thousand people came to hear me. <laughs> Look at that. And not only that, um, the, uh, September the 9th of the same year, preached to 10,000 people three weeks in a row in Moorfields. So God, God honoured the fact that he wasn't moved by the things that, that were making him wanting to be moved, but rather he pressed on, he pressed, he held on, and God honoured this. He honoured this and he found, found himself preaching even to the people who rejected, he found himself preaching to the people who were hungry. And I sometimes thought to myself, brothers and sisters, I sometimes thought to myself, I want to preach to hungry people. I want to preach to people who in their hearts are just hungry for truth. Because Jesus promised those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. I don't really want to preach to people who just want to learn. That's okay. I don't really want to preach to people who just love church. But I want to preach to people who are hungry for righteousness. People who will deny themselves to live the truth. People who will say, I will give everything I can to follow Jesus. This is the call of Christians. And when they do this, they experience the truth and the love of God. And and, and when things come, they want to hold on only to to the way of God. So Peter says, I am going fishing They said to him, verse 3, we are going with you also. (laughs) It's very quick, isn't it? It's very quick. This is a very interesting verse for people who you know. You know if you're someone who's who's influential. You know you've got people who are influential. You've got people who kind of follow. 
you know if you're someone who's influential. And this is a very, very strong warning to you if you're an influential person because what you say and what you do may in fact influence and impact the lives of other people. Peter says, I'm going fishing, and they say, we're going with you. Well, you know, they shouldn't go. They shouldn't have done this. But rather, but nonetheless, it teaches us something about how we ought to be to other people, parents to children, friends to friends, colleagues to colleagues. If you're influential, you need to be careful because your whole life can influence the life of someone else. And so this is Peter saying, I'm doing this, and people are actually actually following. The verse continues to say, and this is where I love what God starts to do here. The verse says this, and they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, is that not the grace of God? Is that not the tremendous love of God? But they caught nothing. Remember, they were experienced. This brought meaning. This brought purpose. This brought pleasure. This brought confidence. This brought everything about them that they thought were made them who they were, a man, a fisherman. I don't think they were going out for some noble reason. I don't think they were saying, hey, let's go fishing because my family need food. I don't think that's their reason. Even if it was their reason, I think it was being covered up. It was covered up by other things, perhaps a deep desire to go and do something different, perhaps a lust for something else, perhaps a, 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 a lack of confidence within the Lord and what he's planning. It was, I think, I think, and you can have your own opinion, but I think what they were doing is they were covering things up. And by God's grace, God's grace, even though they were running to things, they were going back to things that they know that God knows isn't going to be good for them, God, by his grace, made sure they caught nothing. Made sure nothing happens. There was this silence. And can you imagine as the hours went on, as the hours went on, what they began to think to themselves. Imagine, imagine what was going through their minds as and more and more, no fish, no fish were being caught. And by God's grace, God allows them to find nothing. And, and I think what's happening here is as they're trying to cover things, as they're trying to cover things, they're trying to hold on to things, I think what God is saying to them, hey, let me show you something about yourself. Let me confront something about yourself because there's no point trying to hold on to things that are temporary. There's no point. What you need to be holding on to is the things that are eternal. And so Christians... Christians need to let go of the things that aren't going to help them. You know, you can, you can try and hold on to bitterness. You can try and hold on to resentment. You can try and hold on to regret. You can try and hold on to your finances. You can try and hold on to all these things, your friendships and, and a good reputation. You can try and hold on to all these things. And God's saying, oh, what I'm seeing it do to you, it is destroying you. And sometimes God will allow things, God he will allow things to, to come to the surface so you can know yourself better. Do you understand? And when you know yourself better, you come to the end of yourself. So only becomes about Jesus. So this is wonderful tension for the Christian. And you may have experienced this. But there's this wonderful tension for the Christian of being called to let go so we can hold on. How do you explain that? Let go. So we can hold on. And the Christian, the whole Christian life is to let go so we can hold on. You need to let go of those things that are hurting your soul. You need to let go of the things in your life that you know are sinful, that you know are destructive, 
that you know are hurtful, that, that all that this, that being spiteful, whatever it might be, the, the, the unbelief, the, the unforgiveness, you need to let go. You need to let go of those things, the way you used to react, the way you used to respond, the way you used to be, and you used to hold on to the way of Jesus so that you may have all of him. Let go so you can hold on. This process of letting go, the Bible talks about it in different ways. When you let go, you come to a place of denial and death to self. You come to a place where you think, boy, this is killing me. So I need to come to the end of it so I can hold on to the things of Jesus. And so when someone says something to you, you says, well, was that good? Was that godly? You don't react. You take it away. You say, Lord, was it? Because if it was, I want to let it go. I want to let it go so I can hold on and hold on only to you. All the... All the um, all the natural things that we call us, all the ways that we call ourselves to be natural. You know, when people say, yeah, but that's me. Uh, it's, it's only natural. I'm only human. That's why I do these things. You know, it's because of the way I was brought up. It's because of the way I, I and, and people, people um, try and help themselves by explaining it as a natural way or a natural habit. But listen, when I read the scriptures, when I read the scriptures, I see God saying something like this. Yes, it is natural. But I've called you. I've called you in order to break the natural and bring you and give you a nature that is divine. Do you understand? And so what ends up happening, God says this. Now, it might have been natural, but now, by the grace of God, you are a new creation. And by becoming a new creation, I've destroyed the power of the natural. Does it linger? Yeah, as we grow and as we learn, it lingers. And as it lingers and as it rears its head, we understand it and we bring it to death and we become more and more like the image of Christ. So these natural things become less and less in our lives because we come to the end of ourselves. God allows them to come to the surface. We deal with them, we let them go, and we become more like Jesus. So if you're a grumpy person, let it come to the surface. I don't know. If I ask someone who knew you, is he a grumpy person? Is she a grumpy person? What would they say? Let it come to the surface. Let it be something that is raised so that God can confront us. Let it be no fish is caught. Let God confront the issue. So if you are a grumpy person, let it come to the surface. Let it be known so you can come to the end of yourself. If you're a complainer, if you're someone who always whinges and always complains, let it come to the surface. Because when it comes to the surface, God is saying, listen, I need to confront this. I need to confront this. You need to come to the end of yourself. Don't excuse it as being natural. Don't excuse it as being something that you've always done or that's your habit or that's who you are. You're only human. No, when I read the scriptures, I see God saying, listen, I came to break the natural. I came to break the natural. I came so that you can have life and life abundantly. So now, by the grace of God, let go so you can hold on. Let go so you can hold on. I mean, um, it, it's, it's what we want the most. The child of God simply does not sin. And so when the child of God finds himself comforting himself, comforting himself by his nature, this is not scriptural. But rather, the child of God, listen, finds um, reassurance and joy in knowing God has come to set them free. And by the grace of God, as we let go and we learn to hold on, God demonstrates his power in us. We don't go back fishing. We don't go back to the things that we found comfort in, pleasure in, joy in. Somehow as if, you know, this is not cutting it for me, so I need to go back to the things I used to do. My reasoning 
my, my reasoning in the Lord is not working, so I'm going to go back to manipulating and yelling. No. No. We keep trusting the Lord. We keep trusting God in everything that is happening because he is making us more and more like Jesus. And we speak with wisdom and we speak with truth and we speak with love. So verse 3, God is confronting who they are as people. Verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, have you any food? Have you any food? Um, and they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it now and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Wow. Oh, can you imagine Peter? Can you imagine what he would have remembered and thought to himself, oh, I can't believe it. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And God and Jesus is reminding him. He's reminding him of who he is and to never, never go back to what he thinks is going to give him life. But come to him and hold on to the very things that is going to truly give. It's like Mary. You know, Martha wanted to take her away from Jesus, but it wasn't going to work. All Mary wanted, all Mary wanted was to be at the feet of Jesus. All Mary wanted was Jesus. You know, there could have been a storm outside, but she just wanted the feet of Jesus and to listen to him. There could have been trials, but she just wanted the feet of Jesus. She wanted to listen. She wanted to hold on. It was like, you can almost imagine she was probably clinging at some point. You know, she just wanted to hold on and to listen to what he had to say. Don't be fooled, my friends. Don't be discouraged, my friends. The Bible says that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run. They won't, they won't grow weary. They'll walk. They won't grow faint. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, as we hold on, is going to continue to build, continue to build, and continue to strengthen, to continue to make us more like Jesus. If we need to, but if we let go, we need to trust that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And so this famous passage, and I'll end with this, this famous passage ends with the words and all that he's experiencing and all that Peter experienced when he was first with the Lord and now towards the end of uh, uh, the Lord's earthly ministry Peter is asked those famous questions. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Okay, Peter, you've experienced all this now. You know who I am. You know what you used to be. You know who you're capable of being. But very simply, Peter, do you love me? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me now? Are you going to find your confidence in me? Are you going to find your joy in me? Are you going to find your strength in me? Are you going to allow me to work through you, Peter? Are you going to allow me to give you the life that I have for you? Or are you going to try and keep holding on to the old life, to the things that you found at some point in your life comforting or reassuring? Or are you going to let go of this and now do things the way I'm asking you to do it? Do you love me? Paul says this. <clears throat> Paul says this in Philippians. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Isn't that beautiful? The things I thought were gain, the things I thought were profitable, the things I thought made me who I was, my attitude, my words, my character, the things that I thought I could succeed in and made me successful. I count these as loss 
Yet indeed, he says, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, he says, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Isn't that beautiful? He said, you know what? I've understood something now in my life. I, I, I get it. I get it. I can keep trying to hold on to things that I think that somehow, though they are sinful, somehow they're going to keep me helpful and secure. Because at the end of the day, these things that are against the Lord, I need to let go of so I can gain Christ. At the end of the day, he says, oh, I am prepared to suffer the loss of all things just so I can gain Christ. I want to know him completely. I want to know him fully. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to to be able to live life in a way that people recognize that it's not me who lives, but Christ that lives in me. The word is simple. You let go, you find joy, but you hold on. You hold on to Jesus. You come knowing that the very thing at the end of the day that is going to truly give you life is not trying to hold on to the things that you once held on to, but the things that are truly meaningful and eternal. They're the things of Jesus Christ. And when the temptations come to say, hey, go back, this is when God is reminding us, no, hold on, come to the end of yourself. Even if it raises its head, come to the end of yourself and find yourself holding on and leaning on to the very one who can set you free. These are the words of Christ. And for that, there is great hope for the Christian. Let me pray for us as a church together. Our loving Father, we thank you, Lord, for for this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you remind us that there is nothing in this world that can give us what you can. You are the Lord of creation. You are the giver of life. You are the one who forgives sins. You are the one who heals our souls. You are the one, Lord God, that heals the brokenhearted. And you are the one, Lord God, that sets the captives free. And we thank you for this. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that we come before you this morning letting go of all the ways we have been and all the ways we want to be that oppose you, that resist you, that dishonour you. And we hold on in faith to the ways of Christ and to follow your plan for us to follow your way for us, which is a good way, a life that is full, a a way that is strengthened and a way of overcoming. We thank you, Lord God, for this and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.